I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that leads to total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass through me and over me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. And where it has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. If you recognize that quote, it's from the famous science fiction novel Dune, which is being released as a major motion picture here. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Let's get into it. Welcome to Pop Culture Catechism, conversations about music, movies, and the longings of the human heart. Let's get started. What does it mean to be human? And what makes for a good human society? Why does it seem so frequently like tyrants and bullies always end up on top and always get their way? And what can we do about it? Can we do anything about it? Do religion and faith in the end just end up causing more harm than good? It's just made up. And how do we face our fear in a world that sometimes seems like it's falling apart around us? All of these are questions raised by Frank Herbert's novel, Dune, which is about to be released as a major motion picture. I'm excited to see I'm it. Excited. It looks awesome. Yeah, it does. Uh, my name is Mike Tenney. I'm the host of Pop Culture Catechism. I was a Catholic high school theology teacher for over a decade. And at that same time, I was trying to make it big as a rock star at night. And now I'm a speaker and worship leader. And I love talking with people about pop culture and how it touches the deepest longings of our heart and what it has to do with God and life, the universe and everything. I am super happy today to be joined by my good friend, John Mark Grid. I thank hey, you for, for being here. Yeah. yeah this, I think you are now my most frequent guest. Yes. Yeah, one of my very few aspirations uh, in life. So you're, you were on one of my first episodes. We talked about 21 pilots and oh, their blurry face album. So fun. <laughs> and then we, uh, you were on, we talked about star Wars. Yeah, and now you're here to talk about Dune. Yeah. Um, I was I was supposed to I had another guest on to talk about Dune, and then he had some some stuff come up and couldn't do it. And with like a week to go, I was like, oh, who do I know who's like smart and nerdy and has probably read this? <laughs> and I was like, John Mark, I bet he could do it. And you you like reread the book, which is like yep. 800 page book, and <laughs> like a week, and you're here. It's been so, it's been a trip. Thank you for week. your devotion to <laughs> pop culture catechism, and I appreciate it. By the way, if you would like to be devoted to pop culture catechism, you can go to popculturecatechism.com and join our patron community and support this show and keep it running. Support the staff here at Awaken Catholic, and there are six different tier levels that you can choose that will fit your budget or your tithe. And with that, not only are you supporting a great ministry, but you also get access to exclusive content. Every single episode has exclusive content. You get the, the full content of each show. So for example, with this show at the end, we're going to talk about the concepts of jihad and crusade and what that means for the spiritual life and what it means for our world. So if you want to hear us talk about that, uh, if you're a patron, make sure you check that out in the Awaken app afterwards. And if you're not a patron yet, what are you waiting for? Go to Pop Culture catechism.com and pick a giving level. There's also lots of talks by me. Every time I, I give a, a, a talk uh, in my uh, speaking ministry, I record it and I put it in the patron community uh, and also just people can, can chat on there. And you have access to all that through the Awaken app. Speaking of the Awaken app, the Awaken app is not just for patrons who contribute to Awaken Catholic shows, but it's for everyone. It's a great uh, online Christian community for, for Catholics and Christians or just anyone seeking to go deeper in their faith. We try to 
avoid some of the toxicity of other social media platforms. Uh, as well, there is a prayer library. There's a Christian music library. Um, it's also a hub where you just have easy access to all the Awaken content. So it's a great place. We now have over a thousand users, which is great. So uh, if you're looking for a great Catholic app, download the Awaken app by going to the Awaken app dot io and then of course if you're a patron you get access to tons of exclusive content so let's get into it for today we're talking about dune famous science fiction novel by frank herbert so this book came out in 1965 uh, and uh by frank herbert american author it won the hugo award in 1966 big science fiction uh award and also the nebula award for best novel it was actually the first nebula award winner um and in 2003 it was cited as the world's best selling science fiction novel and the movie comes out at the end of october i think october 22nd or october 26th so this episode will probably air just after that so if you're watching this the movie just came out hopefully you you've gotten a chance to see it if you haven't um you know let us we'll, we'll, we're going to talk about the book today cuz we don't have access to the movie but Hopefully they won't be <laughs> too different, um, but maybe in the comments you can let us know what you liked about the movie or the book or some of the differences, and, and we can chime in on that as well. So, uh, John, Mark, before we get too into Dune, tell, tell the beautiful people about yourself. Tell the ugly people, too. <laughs> there are no ugly people, especially in your audience there, uh, uh, John Mark Grodi, I'm a host, uh, co-host here on Awakened Catholic of Elevate Ordinary with my wife, Teresa, uh, talking about uh, our our pursuit of truth, goodness, and beauty in ordinary life of family and work. Uh, so check that out. And also uh, co-host of the men's show here on Awaken Catholic. Uh, I'm the chief operating officer of the Coming Home Network International. We help people, especially uh, pastors uh, who are thinking about becoming Catholic uh, from other Christian traditions. Um, so that's my day job there. And otherwise, I'm just a, ha a happy family man uh, mm -hmm. most of the time, you know. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, with, uh, with six kids, six awesome kids and a wonderful wife. So. Wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, you get you're you're involved in so many cool things. You were just telling me about um, a, a podcast you're doing on like tw the spirituality of twelve step with with the with the Coming Network International. I, I do a, a show called Deep in Christ, mm -hmm. and uh, my friend brother Rex Anthony Norris, who's a diocesan hermit in Maine and a longtime friend of mine, we're doing a series studying through the twelve steps of recovery, mm -hmm. the the spirituality around those, how they're they're deeply Christian. They are kind of like this this quick start guide to like really digging into the gospel of Jesus Christ and receiving healing and, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, inviting him into the dark places of your life so that you can have renewal. I mean, it's, there's, a, there's amazing stuff there. And we always think of the 12 steps as for people out there, but boy, we all need it. We all need it. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty well adjusted. I got all my stuff together. I don't, I don't think I need that. So no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think that sounds super interesting and I'm definitely going to go listen to it. The name of the podcast one more time. Deep in Christ. Deep in Christ yeah. with a diocesan hermit. Yeah. All right. Well, it's a thing. after we're done filming, I'm going to ask you more about that because that sounds super <laughs> interesting. All right. So let's get into Dune. So there's going to be tons of spoilers. We're just going to talk openly. So if you haven't read the book and you haven't watched the movie and you don't want things to be spoiled, um, go read the book or watch the movie first and then come back. And then this will be a much happier episode for you. So um, this book, I had never read. It. I'm a big science fiction fan. Big. I've always been a reader my whole life. I was an English major in college. Um, I love, uh, you know, Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and Brandon Sanderson, and I, I, I love reading all that stuff. But I'd never read Dune, and somebody was like, "You've never read Dune. You have to read Dune." So uh, last year, I, I read it. I listened to the audiobook actually mostly, um, but I was just fascinated, and I realized there's Dune has such an influence on so many of the science fiction stories totally. that we love, like you know, Star Wars, mm -hmm. Desert Planet. 
giant big like sand worm hmm. creatures, <laughs> the whole spice trade, like yeah, yeah, yeah. all that stuff is just lifted wholesale yeah. out of out of Dune. And uh, that was really interesting. And even even the way that each chapter starts with like this, uh, there's an official word for it, but I can't remember. There, there's like a, a little quote yeah. uh, at the top, at, like a heading. And you see that in so much other science fiction and fantasy. Like it was reminding me, if you've read Ender's Game, um, right. each each chapter starts with like a, a, a little a little bit of dialogue that's like from it's it's like meta dialogue. Yeah, something else in that universe. Yeah, which gives a sense universe. of the expansiveness of that particular universe. Exactly. Yeah. So you see that very commonly in a lot of fantasy and science fiction. So yeah. I feel like he was probably one of the first people to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and even just the idea of this universe which spans human history for thousands of years. Because some of the other Dune novels, which which I haven't read, but they mm-hmm. go thousands of years into the future, thousands mm-hmm. of years in the past. Like I think Dune is set. Like like three thousand, ten thousand years in the future, something like that. Mm. It's um, yeah. So just the expanse and the scope of the history of it, I think, is is really neat. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that definitely influenced Star Wars and and a, a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of the science fiction and fantasy that we love. Yeah. So, uh, did do you like the book? I yeah, I totally did. And it, it is it is example of kind of a quintessential science fiction novel. <clears throat> Um, of of what makes the genre unique in that it's it's such, such a fecund uh, genre for exploring philosophical questions uh, questions of morality um, in the sense of, of of plopping ourselves our consciousness you know our experience into a very different scenario uh, into different circumstances and really seeing how things play out examining our intuitions examining our experiences examining the human person in extreme circumstances um, and. Also, just from a storytelling perspective, from an artistic perspective, it's really a feat uh, of a book because I think more than than um, a few other books that I, I've read, uh, it's he's able to kind of build a, a world that has a certain feel. Yes, mm-hmm. you know the the whole plan, the character of the planet is itself part of what makes the story so interesting. Yes, it's the whole character of this planet, the, the ecology of it, the how that ecology uh, has shaped the people who live on that planet mm-hmm. and all that it's 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 really a work of a work of art you yeah. know, in in that uh what he's built there yeah. yeah they say in in writing and this goes for songwriting and poetry and uh you know tv and any sort of art that is very important to establish place mm-hmm. like establish the place like where is this happening right. and in different mediums of art there's different ways that you do that like with, with audio recording you can put in different sound effects and uh distort the voice in different ways to establish, you know, is that person's not far away or close, but in a novel, um, all those little things, the, the, the title headings, setting it several thousand years in the future, having its own vocabulary. Like there's a glossary in the back yep. with all these terms. Like you really feel like you've fallen into this other world mm-hmm. where it had just has such depth mm-hmm. and, um, you got to kind of look stuff up. Like I'm, I'm glad I'm reading this in the internet age where I could be like, wait a minute, <laughs> what's a Chris knife? What's a Mentat? What's a Benny Jesuit? Like what, what are all these things? How do you pronounce Atreides? <laughs> Atreides. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, this, this is why I listen to the audio book. So I'm just going, my oh, pronunciations go. are going it, off yeah. the audio Cheat sheet there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm in a book club and uh, some of us like read the audio version and then some of us just read the text version of whatever it is we're reading. And it's always hilarious to like the, the, the text readers, like the pronunciations they come up with for various <laughs> characters and stuff. Yeah. They're like... Yeah, but I mean, I do the same thing when I read. So, um, I love just how imaginative it is and how well thought through it is. Like, what would it look like to live on a planet where moisture was the most precious commodity? Well, I guess in another way, the spice is the most precious commodity. Like, uh, in terms of 
economically, but mm. in terms of actually living there, yeah. it's, it's, it's moisture and just the, the way that you have to, to save moisture and they have the still suits, which collect all the water vapor that you breathe out. Mm -hmm. And then like when someone dies, they like collect their water and then that water yeah. ends up as part of the community. All the ceremonies, the customs, the yeah. manners and moors all uh, develop out of that necessity. And we see how, yeah, much of our, our, our cultural heritage came out of the practical necessities of life. Um, and it's of course weird to be in a, in a technological age where suddenly the necessities have all been kind of cast off. Mm -hmm. We live in an age of abundance yeah. and so many of our manners and mores are kind of go out the window because we're not part of what shapes the human. I think Chesterton once said, you know, it's man's glory. Uh, uh, God's glory is unlimited creation. Man's glory mm -hmm. is limited creation. Whoa. Okay. So man creates, man develops, man explores within limits, mm -hmm. the limits of place, the limits of time, the limits of culture. And so, again, what we see here is this really interesting, fascinating example of thinking through what would it look like for a man to create, to build a life, to build a culture within these very, very different constraints, yeah. ecological, mm -hmm. ecological extreme. Yeah. Yeah, that is, that is really interesting. And how that affects the spirituality as well, because if the water that keeps you alive is then literally becomes part of the bodies of the rest of your community mm -hmm. when you die. You can see how that lends itself to a sort of uh, spirituality where there is more of a belief in, you know, we're all one. It's almost like pantheistic in some ways mm -hmm. that, you know, I belong to the tribe because like my water belongs to the tribe. Like I, I just, my physical makeup is a valuable resource to my tribe and to my community. Um, and I think spiritually that's true for us like and it, it, it the water is 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 symbolic of like what we pass on to each other like our our, our legacy like i think of what i'll pass on to my children or to my wife or to right. my friends or to, to my students or or you dear podcast listeners and, <laughs> and watchers um like what we pass on and share with each other yeah even when we're gone that lives on and we carry that on into further generations so i think that's a great that's a great kind of allegory for what we sh what we share with people it really stays yeah you know when we write fiction, you know, we, we write in our own image. Like we don't know what it would like to be a, a human with a different kind of nature. So when mm -hmm. we write fiction, it's really hard, maybe even despite trying sometimes for us to write humans who don't share our nature because yes. that's all we know. Mm -hmm. And so when the, one of the, the good consequences of that is that even though we throw these humans into very different scenarios, we still, we write intuitively, we play out our human nature in that scenario. And so... <laughs> Again, even the spirituality that, that Frank Herbert sort of realized in this Dune scenario um, is not detached from our experience. Mm -hmm. It realizes something of our experience that maybe we forget, but that's true, mm -hmm. you know, in the sense of, of our connectedness, of, um, you know, our dependency on, on kind of the, the mediation uh, of our, our sense of God, our sense of the people through the physical circumstances and all yes. that. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like different sci-fi scenarios or artistic scenarios can capture and uh, illuminate different aspects of our, our humanity, but, but it's not detached from our experience. So there always is mm -hmm. something to, to distill from even our fiction yeah. to, co to go back to the real world, so to speak and say, mm -hmm. okay, I'm realizing something different about myself, but that was already there. Yeah. It's like the, um, it's, it's, it's Narnia. You go into the wardrobe and experience yep. this different world, but then you come out of the wardrobe a changed person. The world right. is still the same, but now you're different and you can apply what you've learned there, hopefully. Right. Right. Um, 
So uh, just before before we get too into the themes, I want to just kind of show people some of some of the characters. So if you're, if you're watching, I'm going to have some pictures on the screen. Um, and if you're listening, um, you can watch the video version or just use your imagination. So this is the the cover of the movie. It looks so cool. The visual yeah. effects just I'm I'm excited to see this. Um, this is the the one of the novel covers. There's been a bunch over the years, different editions, but that's one of the more famous ones. Uh, so our our main character is Paul Atreides, uh, played by the super cute. Timothy Chalamet. That's what my students tell me. Anyway. Who else, what so, else has he done? Uh, he looks familiar. I, yeah, I've I I don't know, but my 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 students are always like, oh my gosh, <laughs> Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, so apparently he's a he's a, he's the Jonathan Taylor Thomas of our okay, time in so. some ways. Um, Leto Atreides. This is the guy that played um, Poe Dameron in. Uh, oh, that's cool. In. Force Awakens in nice. the in the Star Wars sequels. I can't remember. I'm drawing a blank on his name. What's his yeah. name? Ah, yeah. oh, I'm drawing a blank. He's yeah. Poe. He's Poe Dameron. <laughs> um, Lady Jessica, who's Paul's mother and uh, the Duke Leto's uh, love interest, but not wife, which is interesting. We can talk yeah. about the family dynamics and how those are kind of messed up. Uh, Duncan Idaho, played by Jason Momoa. Um, oh, wow. So that'll be yeah, that'll that'll be interesting to see him in that role. He's kind of like a, a bodyguard. Right, he's he's he's, yeah. he's um, like but he's also of, got this artistic side, right? And that's uh -huh. him, right? No, no, that's Gurney. I'm thinking that's about Gurney. Gurney. Yeah, my bad, I, 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 I kind of confuse Gurney and Idaho sometimes, yeah. um, but they're both like military officers, yeah. and they both have kind of a special relationship with Paul, right. and kind of a kind of a mentor. Uh, pseudo father relationship or uncle relationship with him. Um, so those, those are really interesting. Uh, and then the bad guys, uh, the Baron Harkonnen, who kind of stays in the shadows a lot of times. Mm -hmm. um, and then his son, Raban, who is supposed to be uh, like the tyrant they're going to put in charge of Arrakis, the planet, right. to, to subjugate the people. And then after terrorizing them for like 10 years, they're going to take him out and put in like the more tame son. It's so like he can be seen as like still awful, still a awful, tame. a little less awful. <laughs> so it won't seem as bad for the people and they'll, they'll welcome him is the, is the plan of the, of the bad guys. Um, and then Chaney or Chani, I'm not sure how it's pronounced in the audio book. It said Chaney, oh. but, uh, played by Zendaya, who uh, is Paul's love interest that he has like visions of that. He's going to meet this woman, mm -hmm. uh, which is really interesting. Uh, and Peter DeVries, the Mentat, and this is played by the guy, I forget his name, but he's, uh, he was in the Ant-Man movies. He was like part of, uh, like the, the crew, okay. like the heist crew yeah. that like goes around on the van that has the funny honk. And <laughs> anyway, he's, he's one of the, that okay. character, that same actor. But anyway, so he plays the Mentat, which is like the human computer. Yeah. Cause supposedly there was like a, a war between humans and computers yeah. in the ancient past. So now it's like a sacrosanct rule in this world that you don't give the mind of a human to a machine. Mm. And so. So they, instead they've, they've, I, I don't know if they've genetically engineered them or, or bred them to be like these super smart humans so they can make like the light speed computations. And so as, instead of having computers, you have these mentats, these really, right. really smart, uh, humans. So those are some of the characters. Uh, and what I think I want to focus on mostly today is you were talking about human nature mm -hmm. and in philosophy, we call it anthropology. A lot of, I think a lot of people, when they hear the word anthropology, they think of like Indiana Jones or like, you know, studying Incan ruins or, or the, something or the clothing, like that. Clothing line that, uh, <laughs> that uh, what's her name in the office like? Yeah. Yeah. Over, over. <laughs> you over. work in anthropology? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, but anthropology means literally the study of humans. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and so nature. there's um, kind of historical anthropology, which studies like human cultures. Right. That's 
That's like Indiana Jones. Uh, but then there's philosophical anthropology, which studies human nature. Right. So what do we mean when we say human nature? What, what are we talking about? Yeah, well, what is, I mean, we, we can look at uh, any phenomenon from a different different perspective. So we can ask what a human is, and the biologist will give us one answer, right? Or the physicist will give us a, a slightly different answer that's connected to biology. But of course, the philosopher and the theologian will give us a, a different answer. And they're not, the, all those answers are not uh, disconnected or <coughs> contradictory, mm -hmm. but they're different aspects of the same phenomenon. Okay. So what is, a, what is a human being ontologically, metaphysically? What is a person spiritually? What are they made up of? You know, are humans different from animals in terms of their of their makeup as spiritual and physical beings? That's the kind of question that a, um, anthropology would would consider. And a great, again, obviously in sci-fi scenarios, we have a great um, playing field to to play out. You know, human situations and consider their anthropology. Consider um, what makes them up. I mean, in in the universe of Dune, we have. We have a lot of issues of kind of the mind-body connection and spirituality. We have, um, you know, kind of mind-altering drugs that give people prescience. Mm -hmm. We have uh, uh, different uh, groups like the Bene Gesserit and the Freeman who have, through practice and through training, have, you know, certain control over their mind and their emotions and the kind of connection between those. Um, so there's a lot of playing out of that and exploring that in Dune, but again, we talk about human nature. We're talking about what is what are humans really like in the in the fullest sense, not just biologically as as physical things, okay. but in their yeah. whole their whole essence. Okay, so I hear you saying it, human nature. When we're studying human nature, we're trying to find out what is human nature in the fullest sense, not just what do we observe. Right. right. So, for example, if you think of like the nature of a human eye. Like what is a human eye for? It's to see. It's to absorb light and focus that light into a signal that our brains can process, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And so then we can see and perceive the world around us. But in quote unquote nature, sometimes eyes don't always work that way, right? right. Like sometimes I people are blind. They can be injured or like I, I have terrible eyesight. <laughs> I got to wear contacts and glasses. And so – but – that doesn't mean the nature of the eye isn't to see, mm -hmm. right? So I think that's a distinction that a lot of times we, we, we don't always understand is we talk about human nature, not what is, but like, what is it in its fullest? What is, mm -hmm. what is, what is it in its perfection? Yeah. Like, what is the vision and the archetype of what humanity could be and what it should be in its perfection as created by a loving God? Right. Um, and so, like, we see that even in the Declaration of Independence, you know, it says these things were ordained by nature and by nature's God, mm -hmm. um, that all humans are created equal with rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? right? But you look around the world, and lots of people don't have life, and their right to life is not respected. They don't have uh, liberty. They don't have the pursuit of happiness or property, these other things that we consider natural rights. Mm -hmm. But so it's not, human nature is not describing the way things are, but right. the way things should be if they were working properly, right? Yeah. And the, and the mind that considers human nature, again, it, we have to step aside from the tendency of our modern culture to a reductionism, that everything is always less than it seems. And so, again, the most common thing is, is the kind of a physical, biological reductionism that mm -hmm. all humans are is merely their biology mm. so they're they're merely just animals um you know love is merely just lust reason is merely just rationalization everything is less than it seems mm. okay. we have to recognize that that's a prejudice like we don't have evidence for that how could uh -huh. you test that as a scientific theory yeah that's a philosophical assumption but it's not the only one um and again i think a more 
open-minded experience of the of, of our own human person would lead us to say, no, there's more to that than just what can be reduced to on the biological level. Uh-huh. That level, that aspect of humanity is true, yeah. but there's more to us than that. And we encounter that in our experience of our consciousness, our personhood, uh, our experience of values, our experiences of, of fear and desire, our experiences of, of the obligations of morality, mm-hmm. You know, just the sense that you know, the good ought to be done and the evil avoided. Mm-hmm. That is an experience that tells us something about the kind of being we are, okay. which goes beyond the merely uh, reductionist biological level. So when you say like reductionists, like, so like some people would say, you look at a human body under a microscope and you see atoms and Just you see, see molecules. There, man. Yeah. And so some people would say, well, that's all we are. And so you can explain the phenomenon of human existence mm-hmm. by saying like, really, it's all about atoms. Or explain away the phenomenon. Yeah. Or explain it, away much yeah, of the So really, if you, if you have a belief in God or if you love your husband or your wife or you love your children yeah. like really that's what merely that really just. is is just atoms smashing into each other in the right sequence yeah, it's the merely just philosophy it's yeah. merely just uh-huh. it's always something less it's always explained away mm-hmm. rather than trying to explain and the proper christian anthropology would say well yeah atoms and molecules are part of it yes yeah, those chemicals absolutely. in your brains are part of it but it's not just physics it's not just chemistry it's not just body chemistry it's not just psychology it's not even just spirituality right because right. there's christian reductionism too which says yeah. like oh it's just you know you can just pray yeah, and like, fix your psychological problems or you can just right. pray and that person will be lifted out of poverty like they're and so the the holistic christian vision mm-hmm. is yes we're physical yes we're psychological yes we're chemical and yes we're spiritual right. we're body and soul and that's what it, part of what it means to be catholic is that we want the whole we want the universal like yeah we, we want to be full Fully immersed and mindful of all of reality. We never want to reduce reality to just one piece of it. Mm-hmm. That's why Catholicism has always been able to embrace science, embrace psychology, embrace whatever truths that these different avenues of looking at the world uh, come to. Mm-hmm. Like we're like, well, sweet, we're on board with that. All right, you know, yeah. we'll, t- we'll take because we want the the richest, fullest understanding of the whole. Yes. And not never, never just a slice of it. Great. So. Okay. Now, that might have seemed like a lot of philosophical background, but I think it's going to be worth it to have covered that before we dive into Dune, because uh, John Mark, what would you say is like, what is the vision of human nature? What is the anthropology found in Dune? Well, I mean, what's interesting is that I don't think we can, I think even though we might think we can as humans, that Mm -hmm. we can write a purely, like we can... We can write a book, start from a tabula rasa, just just a blank slate, and we can sort of build up a hu- new human nature in our storytelling. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, the problem is we don't actually know what it's like to be an animal. We don't actually know what it's like to be a different kind of mind than a human mind. We're yeah. always writing from within our experience. Mm-hmm. And so I think try as we might, whenever humans write stories or, or make movies or make art, what we find is that we're always – we're always finding ourselves in our art. Yeah. And so uh, the human, I, I think the humans in Dune are, they're, they're, I mean, they're us. They're mm-hmm. still us. Yeah. They still have our nature. Now, the way that they think about themselves might be very different from mm-hmm. the way that we do. The way that the author might think about them might be very different than we do as as Christians or as Catholics. But the, the humans we find are, still have our human nature. They mm-hmm. still are these very complex beings. Obviously, <laughs> they're, they're physical, they're biological, but they have... They have a sense of the transcendent, mm-hmm. even if they don't know how to interpret that. They have a sense, they have a religious impulse, which is interesting in Dune, right? That religion is treated by the author and by the characters in the know, in the novel. Mm-hmm. That religion is a is a false thing that's used simply to manipulate people. Yeah, it's just kind of, it's kind of a, a weird quirk of human behavior. Right. Yeah. But it, but it is still, it's interesting that both, again, in Dune and in our world, 
it doesn't explain but why, why and whence comes this mm-hmm. sense of the transcendent, this religious impulse, this need for ceremony, this need for this desire to find a priest, prophet, and king mm. to worship. You know, we find that in ourselves, in our world, and certainly yeah. we have examples in our world where that's used and manipulated. But just because something, the the abuses non tolerant uses, just because something is abused does not negate its use. Mm. Just because something is abused does not mean that that impulse there does not tell us something about our human nature and about the universe that we live in. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. that's really interesting. So. Um, you talked about priest, prophet, and king. So those those are the, the kind of the the heroes of the Old Testament, priest, yeah, prophet, and the, king. And the in Christianity, yeah. yeah, in Christianity, we talk about how Jesus fulfilled all of those. He is right. priest, prophet, and king. And then we, through our baptism and confirmation by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, are called into the, those same roles in different ways in our own life. And that's where mm-hmm. we're supposed to be as priest, prophet, and king for the world right. and to spread spread the gospel, spread it throughout the world. But in this novel, yeah. The the people look to Paul. Start looking to Paul as this priest, prophet, and and king. What's the uh, the the Quetzalcoatl Haderach or whatever? It's like this prophesied <laughs> yeah, one, yeah. this this Messiah anointed figure right. who's supposed to come and and, and save them all. Um, and I think a lot of people in, in like you said, the people in the know in the novel mm-hmm. uh, see the see this religion stuff as kind of this. It's kind of this weird evolutionary quirk of humans mm-hmm. that maybe it helped us bond together in in primordial times, but now it's kind of it's kind of outlived its usefulness in in human um in in human evolution and we can do away with it because we're much more enlightened than that now but we can still use it to manipulate the peons Other people, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. we can still use this religious impulse that's kind of how it's seen um of course it's interesting with with uh, the people in the know in the novel paul mm-hmm. his mother jessica who becomes kind of the i mean she she's part of the the secret organization that's been manipulating things but also then she becomes the you know the the reverend mother for the tribe, uh-huh. whatever. But even those figures, while in the novel, we see in their in their in their self talk, you know, and their mm-hmm. conversations with others, that they are sort of above it and they're manipulating others. They still, in themselves, experience mystery, experience mm-hmm. you know history, kind of mo- the forces and things moving them that they can't understand and explain and control mm-hmm. fully. So but like still seem to have some sort of will, right? They still seem to have sort of pro, some sort yeah, of providence. There, there's some, there's still stuff going on that they, they don't understand. So they're able, they look it down. They, they consider themselves in control, but then they discover in themselves that there's still stuff beyond that, that they don't understand. And they see it playing out in the people. They see it playing out in, in the kind of the movements and tides of history. Um, again, they too have our human, exp- our human nature, which it, which comes up against the sense of the transcendence that they can't fully explain. So let me ask you this. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking of a C.S. Lewis book that this book made me think of. Is there is there one that comes to mind to you, like talking about like human nature and it, and it and evolving kind of past our current well point? space trilogy? Oh, yeah. the space trilogy. I'm thinking. Of, thinking of? I was thinking of the abolition of man. Oh well, the space trilogy is the abolition yeah, of man just, put into fiction. So yeah, exactly. Go. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so the abolition of man. If you've never read it, it's pretty short. And there's there's actually um, if you go to there's a YouTube channel called C.S. Lewis Doodle, which like narrates and draws out yeah, a yeah. lot of his his essays. I highly recommend watching the the um the c.s lewis doodle for the abolition of man but basically what he's talking about is the idea that humans can kind of shape our own nature with advances in genetic engineering and psychology at some point in the future and conditioning humans might be able to kind of like change the way the human brain well, that's works at least a belief that's at least yeah that's a, something that's a that we be- that people believe yeah and through through different you know breeding or genetic manipulation that we could 
we could create people with certain genes or without certain genes and kind of shape and mold humanity going yeah. forward and um, how we would think that that's an advancement for humanity. And you see that here, like a Paul has been crafted by the Benny Jesuits through different breedings. And even his mother, like she decides like right in her mind, she's supposed to conceive a girl who then will marry one of the Harkonnens oh, and then will produce yeah. The the Kwisatz Haderach boy, mm-hmm. but she decides she decides and is somehow able to manipulate things within her body to produce a male heir and have the Kwisatz Haderach like a generation early, so that she can kind of subvert the plan because she wants her child to. I forget exactly how it yeah. works out, but this idea that you can you can shape people in their destiny just by kind of manipulating the physical parts, yeah, and you can manipulate human history just by like getting the atoms and the molecules and the psychology right. Well, and you can certainly manipulate human history and you can certainly mess with humans biologically as we're seeing Mm -hmm. in our world today. But again, there's the presumption there, since the presumption is that humans are merely biological, Mm -hmm. the presumption is that if we mess with their biology, we can influence their nature. Mm -hmm. And what we discover both in our science fiction as well as in in real life is that that's not the case. Mm -hmm. You can mess with your body, but the human nature, what it is to be a human and what comes along with that spiritually... Uh, it doesn't change. And so again, a, a quote, I, I don't remember this is in the book, but once men turned their thinking over to machines in the hope that this would set them free, but that only permitted other men with machines to enslave them. Mm. And so again, there's all kind of part of the whole story of Dune here is that there's been all kinds of manipulation and change of the human body and the experience and all that. But what do we find even in those characters who are in the know? Mm-hmm. Who who are sort of above on that? They're, they're the manipulators. They're yeah. using religion or or technology to do this. They still experience the oughtness of good. The oughtness. The uh, the the that the good ought to be done and the evil avoided. Uh-huh. I mean, that's what's interesting. Again, we we see we get a lot of insight into the mental uh, the workings of Paul and Jessica and these others. And again, what they while they are cynical, they kind of are the ones behind the curtain manipulating things. Mm-hmm they still feel themselves bound by good and evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They can't escape that. We find that even like as, as far as we try to flee from that in our manipulation of our, our, our biology, we still find an inexplicable uh, sense of right and wrong, goodness and evil that we can't affect, that we can't escape from. And we're still bound by. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, so then in a sci-fi scenario, you cast these humans into this crazy different sci-fi scenario they still find themselves bound by this transcendent sense of the good ought to be done and the evil Mm -hmm. avoided Uh, and then the question is what do they do with that whether they respond to that and that's part of their personal struggle well and you see you see paul trying to he he can kind of see into the future because he's so smart he and 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 the the spice kind of um exacerbates that and, and makes him even smarter so he can he can kind of predict the future by just thinking through the scenarios in this mechanistic universe he can kind of he can he can kind of see the different possibilities although, right? although that they're not they're not really clear that that's merely like a physical phenomenon okay yeah yeah it, 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 it he that they seem to kind of waffle on that. Okay. On like, okay. what is that? Is that is that physical? Is he just really smart? Uh-huh. There seems to be something. In there the, might be something more. Yeah. But anyway, what I was saying is, yeah. he seems very concerned with, like, you know, what's going to happen. You know, if I if I uh, enable these fremen to to rise up and overthrow the Harkonnens, right? 
And like, is this going to lead into this crazy war across the galaxy right. um, that is going to lead to, you know, billions being slaughtered? Am I going to kind of create a monster here? So you see him wrestling yeah. with that morality. And what's, what's interesting is in trying to advance human nature and trying to craft human nature into something higher, mm-hmm. what you see in human society is actually a degradation. Yes. Right. Because the society is basically like medieval warlords. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's yeah. like this guild, there's guilds, but there's all these like high level assassinations. Like there's, you, you don't see a recognition of like human rights. You don't see a recognition of, um, any sort of democracy, right? right? It's, it's just kind of these, these power struggles between lesser houses and greater houses. And it seems like human society, even though technologically yeah. and intellectually has become more advanced yeah. as a society, morally and culturally, they've gone backwards yeah. from, from what human nature is. Right. Um, and so I think that's, that's really telling. It's kind of dystopian, mm-hmm. you know, that the, the, that's not a world that I would want to live in. Right. You know, it's not a rosy picture of the future. And we see a lot of that. It's the not, more, it's not Star Trek, right? No, Star no, Trek is super rosy. This is not that yeah. Star Trek. I don't think Star Trek is very realistic. Well, in that yeah. respect. No, we'll do another episode on Star Trek. Totally, totally. <laughs> no, we totally see that though in our world. I mean, the more that we as humans, uh, if we if we consider ourselves merely in the most reductionist sense merely biological beings and we can we can completely control and manipulate our biology and the systems and things outside of us the more that we put our focus out there on oh we can use these external means to craft a utopia well the opposite happens mm-hmm. it's just like and, and again <laughs> most good sci-fi novels give us a picture of what happens mm-hmm. what's interesting too i was just, you were you were talking i was thinking about the character of jessica mm-hmm. she's from this organization the bene Gesserit, who mm-hmm. are kind of the manipulators of history trying to bring about this mm-hmm. this enlightened superman yeah. human being they're kind of like these women ninjas slash nuns slash jesuits, jesuit nuns. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very masterminds weird. so that's where she comes yeah. from but then she she really does love the the duke leto who she's mm-hmm. supposed to kind of just be the concubine for and yeah. still be the manipulator but she loves him and so she actually gets goes against her orders and mm-hmm. bears the son paul and so then even with all the events of the book and they end up uh part of the, the fremen tribe and she's the the reverend mother still through all of that she's still the manipulator she'll she's still kind of like uh evaluating things and trying to manipulate make sure things go her way mm-hmm. and even toward like you know most of the way through the novel she even sees like for instance paul has fallen in love with Chani, mm-hmm. Chani, whatever her name is. I know who you're talking about. And, 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 and he has a, a great relationship with her and they bear uh, a son and he loves her. But there's still this part of Jessica who's who's looking at it purely practically. This is not the great woman for him. Mm-hmm. He could marry one of the princesses. He could he could unite some of the houses. You know, she's thinking of the the practical uh, benefits uh, you know, of, of how he could, she could manipulate things to, yeah. to get more benefit. There's, but there's a point, though, I can't remember exactly the point, where that finally breaks through and she sort of like throws it all out the window and she's like, no, I, I'm just happy that he's with this woman he mm-hmm. loves. Yeah. So again, even these characters who are in the know, who are kind of, they're above it. They're above the influence. They're the mm-hmm. manipulators. They're the ones who who control things. They still encounter, again, the sense of transcendence, these mm-hmm. higher values, these yeah. higher, these things that go beyond them that eventually they're in their moment of weakness. They're like... Mm-hmm. No, there's something even greater here and I'm not yeah. the source of it. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. Uh, you talk about romance and sex and, and the family. How I do frequently, <laughs> but I mean in this, in this novel. <laughs> so you think of the romances in the book, Jessica and Leto, yeah. not married, right? right? Leto is supposed to marry someone else for political reasons. Right. And then Paul and Cheney have a kid, but also not married. He ends up marrying the princess Irulan for, uh, 
spoilers, sorry, um, for, I warned you, uh, at, you know, for political reasons. And so you see this detachment between love and sex in the family mm -hmm. and it's all, it's just seen as like a means to an end. Yeah. And so, um, and you can't get rid of the feeling of the dirtiness of that. The characters in the book can't, the they all know the yeah, dirtiness is, you said, well, they're just like the, that, that, that it's, there's something, it's a perhaps necessary evil they consider mm -hmm. that I have to marry for political gains rather mm -hmm. than for love. But even though that they're so far in theory advanced beyond that, that mm -hmm. they're so far above it, they, they, they see it's, it, this is just a biological thing that we might as well do what's politically advantageous. Yeah. They can't get rid of it experientially from, but this is a necessary evil. It's yeah. still an evil. It's still yep. something that's wrong. It's still a dysfunction. It's still a corruption of something that's supposed to be good and holy. Yeah. You know, they, they can't get away from that experience. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Uh, let's talk about this idea of uh, fear is the mind killer. <laughs> we started off with this with oh, this quote. I love it. And you had that memorized? Yeah, man. Oh, that's, man. <laughs> you're, you're, my, you're my MVP guest right now. <laughs> All right. I'm going to read it again. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. So this is this is a Benny Jesuit. Jesuit. Um, we just need to start saying Benny Jesuit. Jesuit. Let's, yeah. let's stop pretending. Here. I want to say Jesuit, but <laughs> Jesuit. Um, motto, like part, almost part of like their their scriptures. It's a mantra. It's called the Litany Against Fear. The Litany Against Fear. Yeah, okay, so let's let's match this up with like uh, a more robust Christian prayer yeah. mantra like is this is this a prayer a uh, a christian can pray could pray we we have some similar prayers interestingly like yeah. we have prayed the litany of humility actually teresa and i did an episode of um elevate ordinary on the litany mm -hmm. of humility go check that out over on elsewhere on waking catholic mm -hmm. but it, litany of humility you're, you're praying you know from the desire for this deliver me uh, Jesus, mm -hmm. from the desire for that, deliver me, Jesus. From and the fear of from the fear of this, deliver mm -hmm. me, Jesus. Yeah. Like we we have similar litanies, yeah. and it's so interesting. Again, to encounter in in literature, in movies, in sci fi, you know. So the the Jedi, the mm -hmm. Freeman, the Bene Jesuits, <laughs> Jesuits, <laughs> or in our world, you know, in, in Eastern religions or in different uh, ideologies, this this training of the mind, this training of the emotions. Um, and again, from the Catholic perspective, we don't want to just accept these wholesale, but yeah. we want to say, well, mm -hmm. what's, what's right and true and good there? Yes. Um, we want to uh, bring it in. And something I've been th thinking about lately is just, again, what's the source of, in, in the human condition, what's the source of fear? What's the source of desire? Mm. Well, they're both results of our separation from God. Because you think about Adam and Eve in the garden, yeah. walking with God, mm -hmm. there would have been no fear yeah, because you're fully united with God. There also would have been no desire. Now, Desire by desire, I mean this separation, this desire for something that I am separated from. Mm -hmm. They they would have delighted in God. Mm -hmm. They would have been effectively uh, moved by God. They would have felt and towards each other and you towards see, each other. You see Adam have that quote unquote desire. Totally, for this perfectly Eve. integrated you know yeah. communion with God and with each other. Um, but there wouldn't have been desire because desire it, it implies the separation from the thing. I'm, you know, mm -hmm. we, we um, and so. It's a result of the fall that we experience fear kind of gone awry mm -hmm. and desire kind of gone awry for all these other things. And what's interesting, if you think about even our Christian virtues, 
the fear of God, as it says in scripture, is the beginning of wisdom. Mm -hmm. Fear of God is the fear that casts out all other fear. If you fear God, you need fear nothing else. Okay. And so this side of heaven, fear of God is, is sort of an application of faith. That if in faith, if we come to know God and we, we, we properly fear and respect God, that casts out all other fear. Interesting. So too with desire, hope, the theological virtue of hope, if you look in catechism, it's connected to a desire for God and for what God has promised. And so, so too on that end of things, the desire for God is that desire which, which orders and brings into order all our other desires. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. Our ultimately that in heaven, faith will fall away. Uh-huh. Hope falls away because we're perfectly united in love with God. Right. That's, that's, first, that's our that's destiny. That's First Corinthians thirteen. Like all things pass away. Totally. But even love. But love. But, but love remains. And so, uh-huh. and so this side of heaven, we we have this difficulty where we we because of our fallen human nature, we experience fear, we experience desires kind of going all over the place. Mm-hmm. And part of our our goal uh, is not so. So we, we and what we encounter in these, you know, the Bene Jesuits and the and the Freeman and you know even like Zen Buddhism kind of stuff mm-hmm. in our world is this attempt aside from God, apart from God. To eliminate fear and desire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's problematic when it's apart from God because yeah. what you have, you have to put something in their place, mm-hmm. right? Like I do need, there is something true in this litany against fear that I, I, I must not fear. We experience all these fears around us in the world and there is a sense in which we need to let those pass through us. Yeah. want to set those aside. But what we replace them with is the one fear that casts out fear and that is a proper fear of the almighty God. Interesting. So the idea that the fear is the mind killer. Like I, I think just kind of practically the first time, the first time I read that just experientially, yeah. it was like, oh, that, that seems true to me. Like fear does kind of kill your mind, kind of paralyzes you. Yeah, the fight, you, flight or freeze response. Yeah, right? and, it, and it makes you misinterpret other people's actions, what other people say, mm-hmm. you know, this one little thing happens and if, if you're, you're, if you, you fear that all well, these people don't like me and you, you know, then, then all of a sudden, you misinterpret all the all these things that are going on. You, you don't right. do things that you're supposed to because you're too afraid of failing, or you do lots of other things that you shouldn't be doing because you're afraid. Of what happens if you don't do these things? We can com- become yeah. these kind of control freaks that try to micromanage every little thing in our life and right. every every person in our life. Yeah. Um, and we try to become the the gods of our little universe that control everything. So it just experientially that idea that fear is the mind killer, and we have to have to let it pass through us. Um, and how often in the scriptures does it say "Do not fear"? I, I heard a, a, somebody say that uh, you know in the scriptures it says to be not afraid in, in one way or another, one phrasing or another, three hundred sixty-five times. Yeah. I haven't counted it. I don't know if it's exactly three hundred sixty-five, but the the message is like <laughs> you could go through the Bible, and for every day of the year, God has a message that is yeah. "Be not afraid, be not afraid, be not afraid." And there's you know that famous Catholic him from the seventies, be not afraid. Like, you know, as, as cheesy as we may think that is like, that yeah. is absolutely a message. That's, that was what John Paul the second said in his yeah. first speech as Pope totally. he said, be not afraid because there's so much to be afraid of. And Christ commands us world. not to worry. He commands yeah. us not to have anxiety. Mm-hmm. That's so weird. I mean, like in some sense, some of his exhortation to not be afraid, to not fear, mm-hmm. to not worry about tomorrow are some of his strongest exhortations yeah. to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, St. Augustine's definition of virtue that Aquinas references and affirms is, you know, virtues are these good qualities of the mind that lead us to righteous action, something like that. And again, a quality of the mind, you know, a mind being kind of this, you know, the, our, our sense of our, our consciousness, our free will, our intellect, our ability to, to choose. And fear or, or emotions 
um, are not bad. They're part mm-hmm. of who we are. Yeah. But they can't be what drives the cart. Right. You know, yeah, to yeah, use yeah. the Greek the Greek image. They mm-hmm. can't be what drives the chariot. They're the horses. Yeah. They give us power. They give us movement. Mm-hmm. They're to be integrated. But they can't drive the chariot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You you have to drive your yeah. mind. You have to you have to keep that place. And so looked at from that perspective, fear run amok or desire mm-hmm. run amok. Yeah. If that's leading the chariot, you're going to have a car crash. Yeah. Well, a chariot crash. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a wreck. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mind has to remain uh, open and free. And so, again, the virtue of prudence is always this turning to to remain in the presence of God, mm-hmm. to remind myself of the freedom that God's given me and that that. If I'm fearing, I need not re- actually fear anything else because uh-huh. God is almighty. I need not actually desire anything else because only God will ultimately fulfill me. Yes. And so it's uh-huh. resting. It's, it's making a habit of resting in that place. You know, Brother Lawrence practicing the presence of God mm-hmm. so that even when I encounter something that would cause me to fear, I can I can step back a little bit. One of the, the, the quotes here I had, uh, the Fremen, the Fremen were supreme in that quality the ancients called Spannungsbergen. I don't know how to pronounce that, mm-hmm. which is the self-imposed delay between desire for a thing and the act of reaching out to grasp that thing. Mm. Wow. In other words, as we go through life, we we experience affectively the things, but part of what we practice as as full human beings, as Christians, as people who are trying to be virtuous. Is that that little liminal space that we keep between mm-hmm. the stimulus and our response, mm-hmm. so that we can remain in control, that we can make the right choice and not just the instinctive, yeah, choice. Mm-hmm. So that idea that our desires are not bad, I think that's kind of yeah. kind of kind of that's the more Buddhist approach. Is we we live in a world and we experience these desires and these wants, and that leads to suffering. And so the way to eliminate that suffering is to eliminate desire right. and reach the right. state of nirvana. Enlightenment, yeah. whereas the Christian response would be no. Recognize where that desire comes from. Recognize right. what that desire is really pointing to. Right. That is really pointing to God. And I might chase after that desire for uh, uh, affection or pleasure or or food or safety, whatever it is. Yeah. But really, all of those things will only be satisfied if I can redirect them to God. Right. And how do I do that? Not by muscling through it as the Fremen are, because the Fremen are just hardcore and badass and they live in the <laughs> desert and yeah. they can ride giant worms. Yeah. But rather what you were saying with the 12 step thing is for the first step mm. to getting your chariot under control is recognizing I can't drive this chariot alone, right? right? These horses are out of control. My passions, my fears are out of control. Yeah. God, I need you to Jesus take the wheel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, God take the reins and help me. And we, we, where do we find God? We find him in the community of the church. We find him yeah. in the sacraments. We find him in square in prayer. We find him in scripture. Yeah. And so that's, that's where we go. The solution for the, 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 fear and the suffering we experience because we live in a world with such desire is not try harder, try harder, try harder. It is soak yourself in the grace of God in every way possible. And that might be the one thing that we would say about, you know, Dune or about, you know, Star Wars and the Jedi and these other depictions of these almost superhuman characters Mm -hmm. who through their training and their discipline have, have almost come to this enlightened place of power and control, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that may be the one bit of careful fiction we have to be careful with here in the sense of in our world that doesn't really happen except to the degree that you are holy Mm. 
like in on our world, yeah, you, people can pursue power and control whatever, mm-hmm. but you know what? They become the bad guys, mm-hmm. except to the degree that they also either consciously or subconsciously in their heart, they're responding to God's love and his grace. Mm. The saints attain that. Mm-hmm. You see in, you know, like Padre Pio, St. Francis, Thomas Aquinas, some of these saints, I mean, they are epic. Mm-hmm. You know, their their intellectual abilities, sometimes their miraculous abilities, mm-hmm. you know, their, their power, their control is awe-inspiring. Mm-hmm. But you only actually find that in this in this pure sense in our world with people who are also holy. Mm-hmm. You don't actually get that apart from God. Mm-hmm. And there may be a few, you know, a few examples in our world of that where it's seemingly apart from God, but even in the heart of that person, mm-hmm. again, they live in the universe where God is the Lord. Yeah, and, you can't escape grace. <laughs> and so they're responding to grace on some level. And yeah. so that's the thing we got to be careful here is that that we can't actually pursue that for its own sake. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes as, as little kids, we're like, man, I want to be like the Jedi. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to meditate so I can be like the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, no, you can't, you can't get there that way. You yeah. Know? Uh-huh. No, you will be fulfilled. You will have freedom from fear and you will be fulfilled in your desire through God. And then it's up to him what mission he wants to send you on mm-hmm. or, or what that, how that flowers yeah. into the unique saint that he's called you to be. Mm-hmm. But your, your, uh, purpose your focus has to be on union with god that mm-hmm. really uh, and yes. and recognizing your powerlessness your need for god's power has mm-hmm. to be the starting point because yeah. even even holiness even when you say holiness what a lot of people hear is trying harder, <laughs> Try harder. trying yeah. harder no. self-discipline <laughs> nope, nope. right and that's not real holiness i i, I don't so have it off bad. the top of my head but pope De benedict has this beautiful uh quote about holiness and about how it's it's starting again and it's yeah. it's getting up and, and and it's it's not having no failings it's not perfectionism in the way we normally think about it. Um, And so I think it it does go back to those, where do we find grace? We find it in the community of the church. We find it in the sacraments. We find it in prayer. Um, We find it in the scriptures. Um, What I want to end with is you talked about that, the, the proper fear of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of people trip on that. And maybe even I've tripped on that Mm -hmm. before, you know, even in that's one of the seven gifts of the Holy spirit is fear of the Lord. Uh, but a lot of times people nowadays, they say power and awe, right. Mm -hmm. Or, uh, uh, what wonder and awe, right. Mm -hmm. It's wonder and awe of God, not fear of the Lord, because we don't like that word fear. So like, what is, can, can you just tell us like, what is the proper fear of the Lord, the proper wonder and awe that is not just like an earthly fear yeah. that is, that is a good, like, as it says in the scriptures, you know, fear of the Lord is the root of wisdom, you know? So I have a full episode on that over on Elevate Ordinary. You All right. Check out. I'll put it in the but show notes. I'm trying to remember some of my notes from that. I mean, uh, I, I know one aspect of it is that, um, if we think of both, uh, I'm connecting, uh, fear of the Lord a little bit with the theological virtue of faith mm-hmm. and desire with hope. And again, those are both in, in the catechism there. Um, there's a sense in which we uh, we're maturing through those into the full relationship of love with the Lord. So we may begin, you know, most of us from our fallen human nature, we often begin from a place of uh, uh, more of a servile fear of, mm-hmm. gosh, if I continue in this addiction, I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. Or if I continue in this sin, I'm going to go to hell. Yeah. And, you know, that's not... That's not love. That's mm-hmm. not where we're called to eventually. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes that's your starting point. Yeah. That shakes you up. That shakes mm-hmm. you out of your complacency. That yeah. gets you to to ask for the mercy that you desperately need, whether you appreciate it or not. So that may be where, that may be the beginning of wisdom, the beginning mm-hmm. of love. But that's not where it ends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it ends more of a, what we might call a filial fear. The fear that we, like, not the fear of, of going through life worrying, but the fear of, like, I would never want to hurt my wife. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
like I, I wouldn't I, I would never want to betray her. I would mm-hmm. never or the or I, I want to do honor to my father. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hurt him. Yeah. And so that's not a fear I, I walk around worrying about, mm-hmm. but it's just it's just a it's a compliment to love. It's, it's an not an it's love. not an anxiety. No, it, yeah. it's it's resting in this in this love and that it it by its very virtue I I wouldn't want to to hurt this thing. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just it's part of love. Yeah. And so too on the other side with 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 hope, we might be begin uh in our desire, our experience of of hope of for God in the good that he brings us, the healing he brings us. But again, ultimately that, that leads us to love, mm-hmm. loving God for his own sake, loving God for who he yeah. is, loving people for who they are, not what they do for us. Mm-hmm. So again, we have to recognize that these things are sort of a process. Mm-hmm. The fear of God may start out more servile just because of, yeah, our fallen human condition, mm-hmm. but that's leading us to a, a perfect relationship with God. All right, I like the way you describe that. Cause I think one, one of the critiques of Christianity often by atheists is like, well, as an atheist, I don't need God to be a good person, right? I just do it cause it's the right thing. Whereas you Christians, you only have this carrot of heaven that's gonna that's gonna drag you towards the good and this big old whipping stick of hell yeah. and that's not really good like if you need a god to to threaten you with hell so that you're not a rapist and a murderer you're not really a good person like that's the atheist critique yeah. but that's not christianity either right like we're not supposed to just do good things for the the benefit mm-hmm. and avoid bad things for the punishment mm-hmm. again that's where we start the yeah. fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom saint bernard of clairvaux has the he calls it the four levels of love. Sure. Whereas like you start off and uh, kind of the, the most, the lowest level, the immaturest version of spirituality is um, I do good things when it benefits me. Yeah. And then it's, I, I might get some of these wrong, but it's like, I, then I, I do good things for others because it's been like, I do right. good things for me because it benefits me as a stage one. I do good things for others because it benefits me as stage two. Yeah. Um, I do good things for others because it's the right thing because out of love of God is level three. And then the last stage is I do good things for me because of love of God. Mm -hmm. It's like you even see your selfish things are not really selfish. Like I keep in shape. I take care of myself because I need to be a strong, healthy man for my family. It it helps me um, psychologically. It helps me physically. Um, And so uh, you know, I'm not just getting money to get money. I'm getting money to yeah. provide for my family, be able to give to the poor and, mm-hmm. and, and, and pursue uh, things like this that uh, help spread the love of God. Yeah. And so even in our quote unquote selfishness, even that, because love God's us, God loves us and we love, we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. Yeah. We don't love ourselves. Right. So, um, that just that idea that we we progress through to yes we love ourselves yes we love others but it's it's for the right reasons and right? I think again anyone looking at that even that that hypothetical atheist that you were mm-hmm. talking about there they'd look at that and be like okay well yeah good you guys have got that right mm-hmm. that makes sense we can all see the obvious goodness of that why is that obvious why do we all feel bound by that why mm-hmm. do we all see and in, in intuit that that is right. It is right from us for us to progress from this place of selfishness to this place of self-giving love. Why do we all intuit that? Mm-hmm. Why do the characters in Dune, even those who think they're so above the influence, they're so in control, they're so they're the one pulling the strings, even they, even the the, the atheist writer of this book, I'm not sure he's fully atheist, but mm-hmm. certainly not not uh, religious in our sense. Even him writing it, we can't get away from characters who feel that same tug, mm-hmm. you know, toward the good. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. And ex- yeah, yeah. 
if uh, if you are more interested in that idea of natural law and that we, we all we all are kind of bound by this 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 moral law that that all people feel I highly recommend the first three chapters of C.S. Lewis's mere Christianity they just lay it out super clearly again that C.S. Lewis doodle channel is is is, is super awesome so um, all right so we're, we're just about out of time so I think we're we're gonna um, we're gonna talk a little more for the for the the patrons in the patron community we're gonna talk about jihad and crusade uh, a little bit in the way it's used in in this book and in in the movie and kind of what that can mean for our spirituality uh but for just kind of did you have any favorite parts of this book that that stood out to you um for me i really love the sequence where just like things are falling apart and like the atreides are, are being kind of wiped out and uh, you see uh gurney and jessica and uh Oh, who's the Jason Momoa character? Uh, I forget his name, but like Duncan, the, Duncan, Duncan, yeah, and just how they're all so concerned about Paul, and they're trying so hard. There's just like such loyalty and such devotion, and just it, I don't know. It just really touched my heart the way that they're all like trying to protect this boy, and uh, just that that whole sequence of the way things go down and the the, the assassin assassination attempt and mm-hmm. all that. I just thought was was really well written, and I'm excited to see it in the movie how yeah. it goes down. Did you have any favorite parts? I I just love the 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 experience of Paul and Jessica as they're learning to be Fremen, as they're learning Mm, all the ways of that, you know, conserving the water, using all the tools and everything. It reminds me almost a little bit of of Robinson Crusoe, you know, where like we love a story where someone's like shipwrecked on a desert island and they're like taking stock of what they have and they're they're getting the most out of every little drop Mm -hmm. of water, every little, you know, tiny grain grain of salt and sugar to to rebuild a life. And again, Mm -hmm. it goes back to that quote I mentioned earlier. Yeah, that it's sort of the the glory of of human is limited creation, mm, creation yep. within limits, and so uh, that's that any any story that has that sort of experience, the 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 people trying to figure out how to make do within these very limited weird circumstances, yeah. is so fun, and I and I love that you know them adapting to life in the desert in this mm-hmm. very extreme circumstance of this planet of Dune and yeah. the worms and the, the the way they call them and avoid them the, mm-hmm. the way they walk and, and ride them oh it's so cool like, I mean, when I was reading stuff. I was like are they gonna ride they're gonna ride they're the worms, ride the worms. <laughs> <laughs> and I love how at one point there's just like a two year jump forward mm-hmm. and then Paul all of a sudden he's talking about the Fremen as we yeah. like it's like okay now he's part of them he and Chani are a thing I think the uh, either she's pregnant or she has the kid at that point yeah. um, it's just it's just really cool to see and his eyes are blue then yeah, from the yeah, yeah. from the spice so yeah that that is really cool i also really like that part all right very cool very cool would you uh close us in prayer kind of reflecting totally. just a little bit on some of these themes so uh listeners viewers if you would let's just take a moment and pause and we're gonna pray in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen amen heavenly father we thank you for this day and for all your blessings we thank you for the gift of our nature the gift of of, of our creation in your image we thank you that even amidst the brokenness of humanity, of our sin, that you bring good out of that sin in our 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 sense of calling, uh, in the moral law to do the good and to avoid evil, in our struggling with our broken human nature. You bring out the good. You bring out heroism. You bring out um, camaraderie. You bring out the best of us as we struggle against the worst in us. And so help us uh, as we go through life to to lean on your power, the grace that you want to give us through your church, through your sacraments. Help us to begin there from that place of recognizing our brokenness, but seeking uh, to receive uh, the grace and the healing you want to give us, the love you want to give us. That is the only cure for our fear, the only fulfillment of all of our desire. We thank you and we bless your name, Lord Jesus. 
In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. John Mark, thank you so much for being with me. Make sure to check out Elevate Ordinary, another great Awaken Catholic show. And uh, one more time, the, the, the podcast you're doing with the Coming Home Network. Uh, DeepInChrist.com. Deep in Christ. I'm going to listen to that. Sound, that 12-step spirituality just sounds super interesting. Um, and if you have read Dune or if you've seen the movie, we would love to know your thoughts. So let us know in the comments what was your favorite part. Uh, what do you think we missed? Uh, what do you agree with? What do you disagree with? We'd love to hear that. And if you liked this episode and you thought it had some value, go ahead and hit the like button and share it with somebody. If there's somebody you know who saw Dune or read Dune or is a science fiction fan or nerd, uh, you know, go ahead and send this to them. That, that helps out our show a lot. And if you would help to like to help out our show in an even bigger way, uh, please go to popculturecatechism.com and become a patron. Again, we have six levels of giving for whatever fits your budget or your tithe, and that really helps us out. And again, you get access to exclusive content, which we're going to film right after this and lots of talks I've given as well. Everyone has access to the Awaken Catholic app. There's lots of free stuff on there, so make sure you download that. It's a great community. Lots of free resources for your spirituality, prayer, music as well. So thank you, John Mark, for being with me. Uh, Thank you, viewers. We love you. God loves you more, and we'll see you next time. And an extra special thank you to the following patrons, Carl and Melissa Gore, Lisa and Bob Tenney, Steve and Maggie Hubbard, Rob Smith, Tom and Emily Cambariati, and Caitlin and John Wajobi. Thank you so, so much.